we declare, pronounce, and define that the Blessed Virgin Mary, from the first moment of her conception, by singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, was preserved, free from every stain of original sin, that this is a doctrine revealed by God and must be firmly and constantly believed by all the faithful. These are the words of Pope Pius IX in 1854 when he declared the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary a dogma of the faith, meaning it is revealed to us by God. He's not saying that Our Lady is superhuman. She's a human being. He's not saying that she didn't need a savior. She did. But God preemptively, uh, by a a preemptive grace, preserved her from all stain of original sin at the moment of Mary's conception when she was conceived in her mother, St. Anne. Right? Moreover, by a special grace of God, she committed no sin of any kind during her whole earthly life. Our Lady is full of grace, as we heard in our gospel, right? And Our Lady's given this grace so that she can say yes to being the mother of God, the mother of Christ. Now, I mentioned Pope Pius IX declared this a dogma in 1854. But don't think he was making something up out of the blue or inventing some new teaching. This is the fruit of 19 centuries of of theological reflection. And interestingly, though, what I I find very interesting are his motivations for declaring this a dogma in 1854. He thought it very timely. It's worth exploring a little bit in depth. Pius was elected pope in 1846. And he was, at the time, considered to be a liberal. Now, liberal in Europe in the 1840s didn't mean what it meant today. What they meant, what what people meant when they called Pius a liberal in 1846, was that he was sympathetic to the revolutionary movements going on in Europe at the time. For example, there was a group of revolutionaries in Italy who wanted to start some kind of constitutional government, and at least... In 1846, 1847, he was sympathetic to that idea. But these same revolutionaries then wanted the Pope to play an active war, an active role by declaring war on Austria and trying to liberate these northern Italian provinces. Pius refused, and these revolutionaries turned on him. They assassinated his prime minister, one of his key officials. Uh, a man named Pellegrino Rossi. They disarmed the Swiss guard, essentially making the Pope a prisoner in his residence. Pius could see the writing on the wall, and so he snuck out. Disguised as a simple country priest, he made it to Gaeta, about 100 miles south of Rome. And he was there for you know, nine months or so. The story goes that he spent a lot of time praying before a painting of the Immaculate Conception. Right? This is something Catholics have believed down through the centuries. It just hadn't been authoritatively declared a dogma of the faith. And it's there, praying before this painting in a beautiful chapel, that he has an encounter with God and becomes convinced he must proclaim the Immaculate Conception as a dogma of the faith. So what's the connection between revolutionary moments, movements taking a turn for the worse in the Immaculate Conception? Well, it's during his time in Gaeta that Pius IX, he not only grew disillusioned with those revolutionary movements, as he saw them progress, but he began to see them as a danger 
uh, a snare for the life of, of the church. One of the reasons for this was the philosophy behind some of those revolutions. Uh, one of the philosophical underpinnings was, the, was this philosophical idea of naturalism. That sounds abstract and complicated, but it's not. It basically, naturalism is the idea that only natural laws and forces are at work in the universe. That there's no supernatural forces at work. That supernatural truth, supernatural action is all make-believe. God can't intervene in history, even if he were to exist. So when you follow that out to its logical conclusion, many revolutionaries would eventually say something like, the best plan for society is that human society be established and governed with no regard to religion, as if it did not exist in all. So with this in mind, Pius turned to prayer, and he became convinced that the Immaculate Conception, defining this as a dogma, could be an antidote an antidote for naturalism and some of the problematic movements of his day because the Immaculate Conception affirms two fundamental truths, the primacy of God's grace and the workings of divine providence. You know, our first reading is from the book of Genesis, from the fall of man. And it is one of the darkest days, the darkest day, I would say, in human history because paradise is lost. Death entered the world. It would not have had Adam and Eve not fallen. Suffering, sin, and evil enter the picture. And worst of all, because Adam and Eve forfeited sanctifying grace, they go from being the friends of God to being his enemies. And this is true not just for Adam and Eve, but all their descendants. This is not a problem we can solve by our own efforts alone. We're not going to find a cure for death or for suffering or for evil. There's not going to be some pill or device or gadget that will take away the sins of the world that can take us from being the enemies of God to being his friends once again. But, but we see in our gospel the Blessed Virgin Mary, even though she can't quite figure out what Gabriel's saying, she says yes to God's plan, right? She says, yes, I am the handmaiden of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. What the Immaculate Conception teaches us is that she was preserved from all stain of original sin by this grace of God and given this grace to not sin throughout her life. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, God wants our cooperation. The Blessed Virgin Mary, to her eternal credit, she freely and willingly said yes to God's plan, but she needed his grace to do it. So often there is a temptation to think that it is all on us, that it is all on our plate on our capacity to plan and take action, and it's not. We can do nothing without Christ, right? We need his grace, and we need to cooperate with it. We need to act upon it. But without his grace, we can do nothing. Secondly, the Immaculate Conception, it shows God's providence as it work, that nothing escapes his will, that all things work for the good for those who love God, because this is this dark, dark day in human history, yet... God says these words to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head while you strike at her heel. And so right after this original sin that forfeits paradise, that lets death and suffering enter the world, that takes mankind from being the friends of God to being his enemies, God promises there will be a redeemer who crushes the head of the demonic serpent. A woman will have a son who will strike the head of the devil. 
This is the new Adam, Jesus Christ, who will win that decisive victory over the devil by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the new Adam who undoes by his obedience the disobedience of the first Adam. And it makes sense then that the woman of Genesis 3.15, just as Christ is the new Adam, she's the new Eve, who undoes Eve's disobedience by her yes, by her fidelity to God. Moreover, we see here an implicit pronouncement of the Immaculate Conception because Eve was not at enmity with Satan. Eve was an accomplice of Satan because she had willingly sinned. And that's true of all of us from Adam and Eve on. We're born in a state of enmity with God. So the fathers of the church, they looked at this verse and they said that the woman of Genesis 3.15 must be at least as well endowed as Eve supernaturally. Eve was created in an immaculate state. So it only makes sense that this new Eve, Mary, would be the same. Really, what I'm getting at here is that all things work for the good of God, uh, for those who love God. And even in this darkest day in human history when paradise is lost, even here there is hope for God alone has the power to bring good out of evil, to bring life out of death. God alone has the power to make saints out of sinners. The Immaculate Conception, it reminds us that God's providence is at work, that with his grace we can accomplish his will. We can do anything. So we pray that through the intercession of, of the Blessed Mother, our Immaculate Blessed Mother, that we might have the grace to trust in God's providence and to cooperate with his grace as she did so that we can become the saints he created us to be.